G'day Groove Cats. This is Adam Pickett talking to you from sunny autumny Melbourne in Australia for the sixth episode of the Pushing Rubber podcast. And it's Wednesday morning, the 15th of June, 2016. And I was going to do this last night when I had a few drinks under my belt because I always seem to do better on these things when I'm half cut. But I had some things going on last night, and I couldn't do that. So instead of a few drinks under my belt, I've had a few coffees. But that's okay. Coffee's good. Although I am sitting in my very comfortable dressing gown. So there's been some stuff going down, uh, in my world at least. Um... This, this podcast is going to be a bit more of a general one. Um, since the beginning of Feb, where I've gone full-time writing and blogging and that sort of thing, I found that um, I, get, I get started really early. So I'm treating it like a job. So I work Monday to Friday for a start. I have the weekends off, except for I'll, I'll do a blog post on Saturday and Sunday, which only takes me about an hour or so. So I'll, I'll get up around six and, uh, and hit the internet and spend an hour or so just scrolling around my favourite sites. I'm sure you all have your favourite half dozen or so sites that you go to every day and check out. Hopefully mine's one of them. And I'll just you know, see what's been going on. What's everyone talking about? You know, obviously, the last few days, everyone's talking about Orlando shootings, guns, all that sort of thing. Uh, look, it really doesn't interest me because of the fact that it's just more virtue signalling. It's like they've tied a gun up in a chair and they're interrogating a gun instead of the person and what he represented and what his motivations getting hold of a gun and doing that sort of thing because everyone's too scared to talk about the bugbear in the room apart from Donald Trump of course he's really putting it out there but everyone else ooh, can't talk about that but then as we speak there's a bunch of Muslim gunmen it looks here holding people hostage in some other part of America but of course you won't say the Muslim name or Islam or anything like that so Barack Obama what a piece of well, Wow, what he said, that was insane. And our Prime Minister here in Australia, Malcolm Turnbull, did exactly the same thing. Um, so, and I look at these so-called leaders and, and they're just afraid. They're, they're full of fear, you know. Actually, I don't think Obama's afraid or full of fear. I think Obama's got an agenda and he doesn't give a fuck. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull, the Prime Minister of Australia, he's, he's, he's totally afraid of actually getting out there and especially with an election campaign going on here. He's just afraid. And every every guy that I hear crapping on about gun control, I think he's afraid as well. You know, he's virtue signaling and he's saying what he's supposed to supposed to say to be able to keep his job and not offend everyone. He's got to say the right words. Yeah. He's afraid of actually speaking up and going, "Well, I think, you know, Maybe Trump's got a point. Afraid of losing his job. 
afraid of you know being ostracized by his peers he's got to say the right thing oh, I don't have to worry about that stuff I can just say whatever I want anyway I didn't want to talk about shootings today it's not really that interesting for me unless I happen to be in the place where it's the shootings going down and like I said or I wrote about it the other day, stay away from crowds. I suppose that's my only advice for the next period of time. Uh, if you are in the receiving end of something like that, and there's that split second where you know something's really bad going down, going and hiding in the toilet in the bathroom, that's not going to help you. <laughs> it's just going to... It's just sailors up until the early 20th century didn't learn how to swim on purpose because they didn't want to prolong the agony if they fell overboard. They wanted it to be over very quick. If you're going and hiding in the bathroom, you're just prolonging that time until you get shot. And what you're also doing is you're hoping someone else will take care of the problem for you. If you're in that situation and the shit's going down, you just got to go for it, not even hesitate, because you're dead anyway. I read this on the internet, yes, so I completely agree with it. You're dead anyway, so have a shot, yeah? Have a shot at it. So, stuff going on in my life, like, okay, yeah, so I said, I was talking about my routine, so I'll get up in the morning and Check a few things out on the internets, and uh, then I'll smash out my blog post. It normally takes me an hour or so of constructing it the way I want to do. Um, even though they're only around five to seven hundred words, you'd be surprised how much you, I write it. Then I, I look at it. I I post it up in a preview kind of format. How's it looking to me? Go back, change it. I also like to get the grammar as correct and the spelling as correct as I can. Uh, I know bloggers who who stick stuff up and it's littered with grammar errors, uh, spelling errors, and they when people call them out on it, they get very, a few bloggers I know particularly get very upset. It's not the point, man, I'm putting my stuff out free. You should be grateful that I'm even writing and giving you the benefit of my wisdom and you know what if they were only blogging if they were only blogging I could I could see their point yeah but they're not because these guys are trying to sell books as well and as far as I'm concerned what you write up on your blog every day is is trying to sell what you what you do in your books and if it's littered with errors if you can't give a fuck about your grammar and your spelling and the, the structure. Well, that's not a great calling card for me to go and buy your book. And I, I don't do it. I don't I don't buy books of bloggers who who can't even be bothered. And you know and it, because I know I do it myself and you know what it takes about two minutes to look at something and find the errors in it. it takes about two minutes to do that. It's no effort at all. So I, I just I just got no respect for it. Well, it's not that I've got no respect. If they, if that's what they want to do, that's absolutely fine. But I'm not putting my hand in my pocket to buy their books because I 
I'm going to say that the book's going to be a reflection of their blogging. If, if you can make an excuse for not proofreading and correcting 500 words, then you ain't going to proofread and correct 80,000 words, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and then I'll generally, after I've done my post, I'll generally go over a workout. I try to work out four days a week. Um, and, and then by about 10 o'clock, breakfast. I know this is fascinating stuff. Breakfast, hit, hit the new book, which is going, well, we're past 70,000 words on the final draft, second draft for this one. Um, so I'm hoping to get it out in the next four weeks, but there are some problems with the cover. So that might be slowing me down a bit. Uh, problems as in it's not getting to me as fast as I wanted it to, but my guy is a very good guy. For those of you who've read Pushing Rubber Downhill, he did the cover for that, which I was just really happy with. Uh, and he needs a bit more time this, this time because he only does covers for me. A lot of people ask him, um, but he refuses because he just doesn't have the time to do it. Um, but we went to school together and uh, he helps me out. He's a good guy. But um, So yeah, I'll work on the book from around 10 a.m. And that normally takes me around about early afternoon. Just depends on the time of day and I have some lunch. So I'm probably working about four hours in the book. Um, yeah, look, my, my daily word count that I hit for is 1,500 to 2,000 words. I find if I go over that, I tend just to write myself out and the week after, I'm just putting out rubbish. So that's my that's my general daily hit. So you know, around seven thousand to eight thousand words a week, roughly, is what I'm uh, generally doing. Um, and involved with that is I'll I'll read when I start on the writing on the book. I'll I'll read over what I wrote the day before to find mistakes, um, grammar that I'm not happy with. Uh, and then that gets me into the flow to keep going for what I'm doing. So by about you know two p.m. I'm done, and what I've been doing is just dicking around you know, since that that point. But uh, I like to dicking around is pretty boring. Uh, I like to have a little bit more use out of my time. So years ago particularly in the early 2000s, I played a lot of poker. I was very lucky to be online when the, what we call in the internet poker world, the party days. Party days because it was a party and party days because it was party poker. Um, And 2003, 2002, 2003 was when I lobbed in on that. Though I I had played in the late 90s on a, um, a now defunct site as well called Planet Poker. Because poker's always been an interest for me. I, I used to organise poker games at school. Uh, and so this was back in like um, the 80s in Australia. And the game I'd organised was Hold'em. And no one in Australia even knew about Hold'em back then. But I'd found out about it and I just loved it. I didn't like draw that much. Uh, but I just loved Hold'em. And if you've played Hold'em, you know, you know what I mean. So you get you get dealt two cards to face down. They're your they're your pocket cards. 
you don't show them until the end if you need to. And you can have, I think, nine players is the best for a live ring game. Three cards come down on the flop face up. So if you've got two nines and the flops ace, nine, three, you've got three of a kind nines. Bet, bet, bet. The fourth card comes down. It's known as the turn. And the fifth card comes down. It's known as the river. And then what you do is you've got two in your hand. Excuse me, there's five on the flop. Too much coffee. You combine your best cards, so you might normally keep your two in your hand and three on the fl- on the on the board, and that's your five. You might just use one card in your hand, or you might play the board. I mean, if the board's ten jack, queen, king, ace, different suits, there you go. That's that's the best hand. So everyone shares it. And I used to organise poker games at school. Uh, which I used to do pretty well out of. Uh, and I tried to always get a poker game going through my rafting days, but it was less successful because rafting guides are always broke and we're living together. So it's one thing to take your mate's money, but when you're taking your mate's money and then they can't afford to do the, the shopping, it kind of doesn't work too well. So that never, that never really worked. Um, but in... Actually, at the time of the book that I'm writing, so the book that I'm writing is one rafting season in Italy. Um, I've actually based it on a few rafting seasons uh, in Italy, but one in particular, uh, and I've I've positioned it as 2001. That's that year there. Um, at the end of that year is when I stayed in Italy. Um, and that first winter in Italy, unfortunately, I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't organise myself a job. So I was sitting up in this apartment up in the mountains and I actually took an apartment on the wrong side of the valley because one side of the valley uh, got a lot of sun and the other side of the valley, I don't think the sun touched my apartment for 10 weeks. Didn't touch it. And outside it was around, at time, I think the coldest day was a February day, and at midday it was minus 20 degrees Celsius, not Fahrenheit, Celsius. Uh, so I don't, know, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Um, so there was like ice on my windows that didn't go away for a while. My heating bill was insane. I'd never, I've never, I'd never seen snow before I did this winter, and I wasn't working. Um, I didn't really have an idea what I was going to do. I just wanted to stay in Italy, so it was a bit of a bit of a cluster. So I had to get some money going, and that's when I started getting online with poker and the party days, party poker days in two thousand two to about two thousand four were well. Long time poker players look back on that as just the absolute pinnacle because uh, a guy called Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker. Uh, and he was just a dude who entered a... I think he got into it. I didn't pay the $10,000 entry free. I think he played like a, an online satellite game. So he maybe coughed up 100 bucks and then went to another table, another table, and eventually got his buy-in that way. And he ended up winning the main event. And he was just an internet poker player. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened to poker because it just exploded. And... Everyone came online, everyone was playing, and the games were uh, as soft, which means as easy 
as you could possibly believe. Um, and people were only playing one table at a time. I think the max you could play on party was four, but no one I knew was doing that. No, no one was using computer tracking software to evaluate their hands or the hands of their opponents, and, and certainly no one was using up using heads-up displays, which what that does is it works together with the, the tracking software and, and puts stats over each figure on the table based on the hands you've played against them and what they do. So it was it was very soft, it was great, and that's that's how I paid my way through the first couple of winters before I start work, started work, my Italian got good enough and I could start working as a language consultant, do translating and that sort of thing. Uh, but I, I kept playing poker, obviously. Uh, and it was a great, um, it was a great, just a great backup. It was a great second income to what I was doing. Um, but I was devoting my time to other things. Um, so I never devoted fully the time to poker um, as I would have if I was going to make a career out of it. But I, I don't think that poker is a great career. Uh, a, lo- a lot of people I know have tried to, to make poker a career. Uh, especially young guys, and it's not much of a life. Um, I I do have a friend of mine from Italy who at the same time as me, Italian guy, got into poker, um, and he's lived off that since then. Um, So that's about... It's come up to 15 years. He's a true online professional, um, and he probably... He would start because he wanted to be at the at the core time in Europe with America. So he'd start playing about nine o'clock at night and go through to about six in the morning, six days a week. Um, and I'd say he was probably making around one hundred and fifty thousand euros a year doing that at the time. Um, and then Holden started to get a lot tougher. There was the recession in America, which didn't help. And then the recession in Europe, a whole global financial crisis. And people started the people started switching to pot limit Omaha, so he taught himself that game. But he's having a bit of trouble with it now. Um, because generally what's happening now is that you can have, I think you've got four computer screens in front of you, and you've got five tables on each computer screen. Um, they're literally playing these guys now professionals online are literally playing 20 tables at a time and so 95% of their decisions are just uh, automated they'll look at it in a a flash second like it'll beep on one table they'll look at that computer screen the decision will be there Uh, they've got their computers their their stats to help them overlaid over the player and for them it's now a black and white decision Bang, they'll do it next table. Bang, they'll do it next table. Bang, they'll do it. And what they're doing is they're just they're trying to grind out uh, a very small edge now because they've they've really taken away the feel of the game. And if you if you have a look, if you have an edge mathematically on anything, then you're going to make money. That's how casinos operate. Um, but to me, I never multi-table poker. Um, I just like I, I enjoy the game as the game I, I think it's a wonderful game I think poker is a, you can learn a lot of stuff from playing poker well 
Uh, I've always likened it because I, I was a chess player for a long time. Poker's like chess except you can't see all the pieces. But you can maybe work out what the pieces are doing based on what the other players are doing, how the other pieces are moving that you can see. It's like how they find planets that they can't see. So they can't see a planet and they start to suspect that a planet's there because of the way the other planets are moving, because of the gravitational forces. And eventually they work out, well, if, if all the planets are moving like this, they're spinning around something, then something has to be at this point, and then they identify a planet that they haven't even seen. Yeah. So poker's kind of like that. You know, you've got some information. Uh, and then, of course, it's, it's, it's very emotional. Which is why the whole playing 20 tables at a time. I never played two tables at a time, even in the, even when you could easily do so. I just, I like to focus on my guys. And I like to, I like to, the thing back in the, in the party poker days was you could chat. You could chat to everyone. And you, you wrote, you wrote your stuff in the chat. And I, I used to have good relationships with the people online on, on the poker back in 2003. People knew who I was. Um, and you'd give each other shit in the chat, but it'd be a very it'd be a social occasion as well as a poker occasion, and I think that's why people really enjoyed it. It's kind of like MMOs, um, the online gaming like World of Warcraft and that sort of thing. And back when it first started, which coincidentally is around the same time, I think World of Warcraft came out in two thousand five. Back around that time, it was a very social game. You doing the same thing in chat. You'd be meeting up with people and going and doing things together and, and actually making friends uh, online in that way. Now it's not like that. It's just run it through. I'm not going to talk to anyone. And the popularity of the game has gone down. And if you're multi-tabling 20 tables at a time, you ain't talking to anyone online on poker, that's for sure. Um, so the, the social element's got it, gone out of it. And if there's no social element, if you've just got 10 players there clicking away, then they're probably 10 professionals because <laughs> anyone who's after poker to have a bit of fun and a bit of social element, it's not fun for them. If online's still going, poker stars are still going, and I jumped on it the other day, and I actually didn't find it too hard. And I think the reason was is because I was just playing one table, and I'm pretty sure that almost everyone against me was multi-tabling at least a dozen tables each. Now, I could tell because I was clicking on other tables to see if they were on those ones too, and they all were. And they all had their heads-up display, I'm pretty sure. But they were all operating on black and white decisions, and I was like, well, let me play it properly. Let me, let me play 30% of my hands. Let's have about... An aggression factor around twenty, something like, or raise factor around twenty. So we call it. A, I played a thirty twenty game. Play thirty percent of my hands, raise twenty percent of them, and pretty well because I was reading the players and they're not doing that anymore. It was quite interesting, but it was still a bit boring. So, and I look, I'm not a gambler. You, you might have been assuming listening to me talk about poker that I'm a gambler. I'm not a gambler. I've got no gamble in me. Absolutely not. If you, if you say to me, all right, 
here's heads tails let's let's play coin flips and we'll bet on it i'm just not interested in a, in a 50% bet because it's it's pure luck and mathematically it will even out and i've got i've got no way of using my skill to influence that game it's like roulette roulette never interests me what's the especially with the, the green zero on the board that just never interests me at all I don't understand how people can go and put their money on that because it's just it's just luck. It's just fortune of the gods. And I like to have um, I like to be able to put work in beforehand to study something and then to understand people, and then work out what's going on. So blackjack, I don't have to understand people for blackjack. It's just you against the cards. So that's not that's not exciting. You can get an edge by counting cards, but. To do that, you've got to have... Well, they find out immediately because you'll be betting 10 bucks, 10 bucks, and suddenly on one hand you'll put $1,000 on. They don't know what you're doing. But poker. Right, okay, now this is different. I, I can get an edge because I can play my cards better. But more than that, I can control my emotions and not go on tilt, which is lose your shit when things start not going your way. And... I can also practice good life skills because your life skills, if your life's a mess and you go to the poker table, you're going to be a mess on the poker table. Yeah? If your life is disciplined and structured and you're in control as much as you possibly can be, then you're going to do well on that poker table. Or you're going to do better anyway. So I think poker's a good... It's not a good source of income, but it's definitely a good backup source of income if you have the correct bankroll, you've got the the right mindset, you don't have any gamble in you at all. You can do okay. So that's what I've started doing. I've started heading down to the casino here in Melbourne, Crown Casino. I'm doing the afternoon sessions because I don't feel like staying up until 2 o'clock in the morning in some degenerate poker room. Also because I have a excellent relationship with my wife uh, and I like to see her on occasion and she works does her stuff all day I don't normally see her till about 7 o'clock at night so what I'm doing is going heading down to the casino around 2 playing till about 7, 7.30 meet up the wife off we go have some dinner somewhere have a chat about our day and it's working out pretty well uh, the games are soft they're really soft um, and it's quite a bit of fun like I said I don't have any gamble in me though and, and that might sound strange so well how can you play poker you're not gambling it's all math it's all math if, look, if, like I said I'm not going to take a coin flip and bet a thousand bucks on a coin flip with you heads or tails you get heads Thousand bucks to you, I get tails. Thousand bucks to me. Why would I do that? Because you could win three in a row, sure, but that's just luck. So I've got no control out of it. So I could just as easily lose three in a row, and I don't feel like doing that. However, if I was in a situation where it was seventy thirty to me with that thousand bucks, I'm putting that thousand bucks on it every single time because over the long long run, I'm going to be making some really good money and that's what poker is coupled on that people's mistakes now 
Look, if you've got your shit together in life, you probably realise that the vast majority of people are idiots and they're afraid. They're always afraid of everything. If you translate that to the poker table, it's exactly the same thing. That's the same with studying poker. Like, I've got a... Let me see. There's my bookshelf there of all my poker books. Probably got about 15 or 20 poker books. I've read them all multiple times. I'd say the vast majority of people who study stuff misinterpret it, misapply it, don't really understand what they've read. They read the pages without actually processing the information because they're probably their mind's wandering and they're thinking about something else. They go to the tables. It just, just doesn't translate. And they think it's all black and white. People ask me about a hand and they say, well, here's a hand that I played. What would you have done? And I, I always say to them, well, it depends. It depends on the circumstances. There's no black and white answer. It depends on the opponent across from you. How many hands you played from with them? What sort of player are they? How do they see you? What's your image at the moment to them? Are you really? Do they see you as a really tight player who, who's been willing, winning a lot? Do they see you as a loose player who's been losing a lot? They see you as a loose player has been winning a lot. It all depends. So poker's a great opportunity if you want to... If you've got the type of personality that can get good at something and you're not a degenerate gambler. So that's what I've been doing to, uh, to supplement my time, but at the same time, it's a supplement of your income. Yeah? To play poker like that, you have to have a decent bankroll. So the games I'm playing are not very big. I'm playing a $200 buying game. I might move up with a $400 buying game once I'm comfortable down at the casino of what's going on. But basically you want to have about 20 buy-ins as your bankroll. So $200 um, buying game, that's 4000 bucks that you need to have as your bankroll. That doesn't mean you have, you have, to, have to have $4,000 sitting on your desk, ready to go. It means you have to have be able to draw on four k. Yeah. So four hundred dollar game, eight k, ten k, ten k to make it, and that's fine. I've got that. So yeah, poker, it's a great game. Uh, and interestingly enough, my first book, Pushing Rubber Downhill, which you can get on Amazon or Book Depository or any bookstore in the world. Walk in, order the book, full worldwide distribution, get it on Kindle, the audio book, read by the lovely Davis Orini, is out now as well, which has been doing quite well, I'm happy about that. But my first book actually started on the 2 plus 2 poker forums, um, because 2 plus 2 is, well, most of the books that I have on poker are published by 2 plus 2. I'm looking at there, I've got at least a dozen of them. Um, and the forum at 2 plus 2, well, it's a great, a great poker resource. Um, I do think that about 95% of the people who these days comment on hand histories there um, don't know what they're talking about. I think, the, I think probably the same time as, as the party poker days, 2003, 2004, 2005, I think that was the golden time also on 2 plus 2 for um, discussion of poker. But I think the really good um, people 
got a little bit sick of idiots saying they were wrong all the time. And they left as a result of that. There's very few really good, I think, uh, poker players commenting on that site anymore. I've been on that site. It was an old site, but I've been on it since when it came up in 2002. But I didn't reg until I think it was late 2004 because I was just a lurker, sucking all information and not giving anything out. But not giving anything out because I was afraid of saying the wrong thing. I was afraid of being wrong. Um, which is dumb because you should never be afraid of being wrong. In fact, you should want to be wrong. You want to, you want to be able to put your stuff out and someone says you're wrong because now you've learnt something. So, but 2 plus 2 still has all the old threads. Yeah? Uh, and if you go, let's go to any forum on 2 plus 2. Let me do it right now. Up here because it's one of my bookmarked. There we go. Let's go. No limit hold'em on our poker forums on the side. Uh, and let's go high stakes, pot limit, no limit. Because that's where you're going to get the most. It might not be the stakes that you're playing at, but you just you generally get tend to get the better discussion at the high stakes one. Uh, there's a few stickies here. You've got your best high stakes, no limit threads. There's a second sticky. Uh, and at the top, you've got number 2000 random shite by a chap called Lyman. Uh, I personally think that that thread right there, number 2000 random shite, and it's probably got about, it's got two and a half thousand replies to it. Um, I think that is the best thread on 2 plus 2. You won't get as much out of that thread if you're a beginning poker player, though. If you're an intermediate to advance poker player, you'll get a lot out of it. If you're a beginning poker player, you want to, it'll go over your head. Um, but once you're at a certain level, that is the absolute best threat. Uh, Lyman um, has been a professional poker for a player for about, I'd say, about 15 years in LA. So mostly playing at the Commerce and the Bike, which are live casinos in LA. And but he also does it as a supplement to his other investments and incomes and that sort of thing. Um, and Lyman, uh, there's a, probably about a dozen posters on two plus two, and there are hundreds of thousands of posters on two plus two. But he's in he's one of my absolute gold ones. And we've had a we've done it, had a few private messages back and forth over the years. And Lyman now hosts a show live at the bike. Um, on Monday nights though unfortunately last night I was listening to him and he kind of lost his shit about the Orlando gun thing and was just talking about how machine guns shouldn't be allowed uh, see. Muslims who don't like Westerners shouldn't be allowed but that's just me anyway so you can check out 2 plus 2 if you're into poker or you want to get into poker and I might start talking a bit about poker on the blog. Maybe I'll do a weekly poker post. You guys let me know if you're interested in that sort of thing. But like I said, I, I, th I think poker is just a marvellous game in all of its forms. And uh, it, it teaches you a lot about yourself. It teaches you a lot about other people. It teaches you a lot about math. 
if you don't understand probabilities and that sort of thing. Um, and it's a it's a game of skill with a luck element. And this is this is I'm wrapping this up, but this is important to understand. The luck element is the most important part of poker because the luck element allows bad players to win. If there wasn't a luck element, then bad players wouldn't win. Bad players would get busted out of their money very, very quickly. And all you'd have would be really good players facing each other trying to grind out some money from their stacks. So let's say we've got a hand where uh, I'm an 86% favorite. Well, let's make it easy. I'm a 90% favorite and you're a 10% dog. And the last card's going to be turned over. Okay. So 90% of the time I'm going to win and 10% of the time you're going to win. So I'm getting my money in really good and you're getting your money in really bad. Well, guess what? 10% of the time you're still going to win. And that's good. Or 20% or 30%. That's good. You're getting your money in bad. You're playing poorly, but you can still win. And that keeps bad players in the game. And that's why poker is so counterintuitive. So in life, as human beings, we learn by direct association. Yeah? So if I touch the stove with my finger, there we go, and my finger gets burned, I now have a direct association. I've learned that if I touch a hot stove with my finger, I'm going to get burnt. It's painful. I'm not going to do it. So that's a, that's a way of learning, direct association. Here we go. But poker is the opposite of that. So let's say you're, you're the the player getting your money in with a 10% chance of winning. By the way, you don't you don't know that it's a 10% chance of winning. You're just playing, right? Because you're the sort of player who hasn't done the math, don't understand what's going on. You get your money in, so you've made the absolute wrong move. And now you win. Well, let's go back to how human beings learn again. So you've done something which is wrong, but your outcome is good. So what's just happened then is, by the way that human beings learn, you've taught yourself to play the wrong way because your outcome was positive. Let's take it the other way. This is the really crazy thing. So I got my money in 90% to win, and I lost. So I did the right thing. I did the exact right play that you'd always want to do. And let's say it was like a a $10,000 pot. And I lost. Now that's that's pretty hard to take because you did the right thing, but your outcome was negative. And the other guy did the wrong thing. He did the bad play and his outcome was positive. So to be able to emotionally distance yourself from that is pretty crazy. So it really teaches you, if you can get your head around it, um, interesting things about life. Going on tilt, we call it, is when you start playing badly because you're getting emotional. Most players just associate that with, I I was 90% favourite to win, I got my money in and I lost. It's pretty easy for a player to go on tilt at that point and start playing hands he shouldn't be playing, in the way he shouldn't be playing, because he's upset. But... The other form of tilt is when you win a big hand and you get really happy. If you get really sad on a hand, you get really depressed, or you get really 
aesthetic on a hand because you just drag $10,000 across the table towards yourself. Both of those are tilting. Both of those are emotionally dependent on what's going on. There's a lot to poker, just like there's a lot to life. It's very, very interesting stuff. Okay, so we've spoken a bit. I've spoken a bit. You've listened. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, It's been a bit more esoteric, but I just thought I'd let you know what's going on and what I'm doing um, because, you know, I'm such a fascinating person. Um, If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Oh, it's on iTunes now as well. So if you like this podcast, please go and rate it on iTunes um, so I can start getting this out to a few more people. Um, Check out my blog, Pushing Rubber Downhill, which I post on every day. Uh, If you haven't bought my book yet, Pushing Rubber Downhill, um, the story of how I basically went from a lowly beta male with no confidence and who was afraid of being wrong and making a mistake and what the world thought of him to the opposite of that through being a whitewater rafting guide in Australia and Canada and Uganda and Italy. Go get that book. And my next book, uh, The Prosecco Paddlers, is out hopefully within the next four weeks, cover notwithstanding. Um, And that's that's more of a five-month rafting season in Italy and and what happens on that and an exploration of masculinity is how I'm going to describe that book okay so thanks very much for listening and uh, I'll see you guys next week